You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air, and I appear with always. Typical Lydia. On today's show, we're going to be doing the 2002 Japanese horror movie Suicide Club. Yay. <laughs> cheerful. Yeah, it is cheerful. I mean, the way that they do it, it seems cheerful. Well, you have to maintain a happy attitude. <laughs> Speaking of happy attitudes, we have a question from Twitter that we can talk about for a little bit. Yeah, sure. I like this question. (laughs) Yeah. It's from our loyal listener, Thomas Nichols, who seems to have come on board our show recently and is an avid liker and retweeter and commentator on all of our stuff, and I really appreciate it. So he's got a question for us. It is, and I quote, If you two could create a horror movie of your own, what would it be about, and what would the name be? What would the name be is a tough one, but the working title... Dead Air Horror Film. That's our shitty production company. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I'd like to do all of our horror experiments. I think we could call it just horror experiment. Mm -hmm. And every time in a show when I've been like, okay, okay, Wes, then we have to have an experiment where I'm going to take a pitchfork and shove it through you or I'm going to lock you in a van and all those horror experiments. I'd just like to play out all the horror experiments. Mm -hmm. Or this, I can't say... Meat Sculpting. Meat Sculpting? Best Canadian horror movie ever from one of our previous episodes. <laughs> uh, the Ice Sculptor. I'd like to see an ice sculptor go on a rampage. It'd mm-hmm. be almost like Hillbilly Horror, Canadiana, Frozen North. I, I like that angle. Blood on Snow. Blood on Snow. So that's the kind of... Because I, I was more curious about what genre you would want to dip your toe in. Because, dear listeners, as you probably are aware, and if you're not, shame on you. And I'll enlighten you this very second. Lydia creates stories all the time that are horror. And you have all kinds of stuff that is available for everyone to read and enjoy. And you've never really dipped your toe, from what I know, into the rich vein of hillbilly horror or wilderness horror keep things fairly urban. I do. I do. Because that's where it's scarier and darker for me. Although I see that the hillbilly horror would be scarier and darker for readers. And I could write it really, really well. Mm -hmm. There's some sort of countryside horror starting in The Bad Shepherd from Pray Light Eve. It starts out in the countryside and ends there as well. But that's really about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a little hinting of countryside horror in Night Face too. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not well. Nightface one, n- not at all. He well, ends up sort of in the countryside. That's like, you know what I take that back. You're absolutely right. But to me, Solomon's like, origins sort of in a old farmhouse. That's true. Place, yeah. But every time I, I'm, I'm envisioning when I'm envisioning the scenes from Nightface, the 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 first book. I'm always thinking about, you know, you're driving just at, you know, you know, like when you're in Ottawa, listeners, I mean, you don't know this, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a city, but if you drive 20 minutes in almost any direction, you are going to hit fields and hills and farmland. And so a lot of those scenes from Night Face 
particularly towards the end. It always makes me think of, I just drive uh, 45 minutes outside of Ottawa, and that's probably... That's where you are. <laughs> yeah, basically. Black River Road does exist, except it has a French name, and it's over on the other side on Gatineau. Really? Down past Carp. So it's a couple hours out of Ottawa, but when you get off the road an hour or two into the Quebec countryside, mm-hmm. it is pretty desolate, and it is pretty hillbilly, horror-esque, right? Might see a lonely, withered farmer just strolling down the road. I'd rather watch that stuff than make it, though. Like, I don't want shit where I eat, right? Okay. Yeah. So I'll write this uh, urban noir, or whatever the hell they're calling it now. Now, I think I'd like to do our horror experiments. Horror experiments? That sounds really cool. For me, I'm always... I have horror stories that are written down and ready to go, but every time that I think about making something a story, I always think about it from a comic book perspective. I'm always... Making a film, to me, seems like a whole other thing that I just don't really want to do. Like, you know, and, and it's mostly because I just don't understand how to really write a movie script, and I don't really... I feel like I'd have less control, so I feel like any type of vision that I could possibly have would get muddled, whereas in a comic book script, I feel like I have a lot more control, and so I think I could make a storyline that I'd be very interested in doing. Surprisingly, uh, people might assume, based on our show, that I would want to do a slasher movie or something like that. Well, yeah. And, like and horror experiments. Like horror experiments. But I think for me, and I was thinking about this because we got this question a few days ago, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, I don't really know what I could add to the slasher genre. I think that I could probably come up with a cool killer, and I think that's really all you need. But some of the really great slasher movies that I love a lot did something, there's something about each of them that's really unique, or something that they just did so well. And I feel as though I would always be... I just don't feel like... The ones that I love, I don't feel like I can improve on. I think I could do an homage to something really good. But I don't know if I could elevate the genre. And that's what I would want to do. I wouldn't want to create anything unless I felt like I was improving on it. Which is why my favorite genre... Well, one of my favorite genres is the Japanese grindhouse. Mm-hmm. That's where I was. my brain was going when thinking, what would Wes want to do? So the stories that I... like, And, and I love this stuff. Like I loved uh, Tokyo Gore Police, and I love Machine Girl, and Hell Driver, and Mutant Girl Squad. They're all fantastic in their own wild way. But I feel as though when I watch those movies, I just want... I want all the things in them to be there, but I just want their scripts to be tighter. I just want the characterization to be better. I just want the drama to be more elevated. And so I always thought, would it not be fucking amazing if you were to treat something so ridiculous, so fucking seriously, but then have all of this insane gore and crazy fetish girls and just all this fucking bonkers shit just flying at your face, but then just, but in my brain, in my comic book brain, sexy captions that just have really in-depth narrative like a lot of what the the vertigo titles were doing in the in the late 80s so and that's how come for me that would be the ultimate type of thing that i'd want to do and it is coming as a comic book that that will be out hopefully (laughs) before i die 
Sort of like Gothic Lolita Psycho. Yeah, yeah. very much like Gothic That's Lolita Psycho. It's a lot Psycho. cleaner as far as grindhouse-ish. Oh, exactly. You know, that has like a, a, a you know beginning, middle, and end. And, and you know, the funny bits are very funny. But I, I but uh, like, so something along the lines of that. Like, I love that fucking movie. Yeah. Um. So I would want to do something similar to that. And so... Like, believe me, the second I can talk about certain things that I'm working on and the second things can be revealed to the world is the second, my dear listeners, and you will hear about it. I have an inkling of some of those projects. You do. Or at least one, like two of the the ones that I'm particularly excited about. And I can't wait until Wes can, I was going to say pop his cherry, but pop your cherry, motherfuckers, <laughs> with some of the fucking cool shit that's coming out eventually comic book wise. Comic book wise. Which brings me to, like... Things can be adapted. I write short stories, and yeah. like I could mm-hmm. probably far more readily write the ice sculptor murders mm-hmm. or horror experiments mm-hmm. in my own medium, and then work toward having things adapted. I've read and proof. I proofed a screenplay for my friend Tyson's feature Stillborn, which will be coming mm-hmm. out soon enough, and I've looked at uh, the screenplay writing software, which. I'd rather just, you know, do it by hand, do it manually. And it's not rocket science by any means. And if you have a good imagination and can visualize things and have an understanding of, you know, basic filmmaking at the very fucking least, because it's going to go through multiple drafts and hopefully with other people who will oversee you. And being on another film set would be the master class to hone your script. So Mm -hmm. we could definitely make a horror film if we were so inclined, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It would probably be really shitty. But yeah. you can I, have these things adapted in the future by other people who are far more capable, right? So these absolutely. ideas, whether it's in your medium or not, you create them in your medium, comic mm. books, and then just sort of unleash them on the world. And maybe it's maybe true. they would turn into a film. You know, I'm just going to put this for the record. Um, I always thought after reading uh, Crocodile Rot that that would be good. To, you, oh, you, thanks. You could, you, that could easily be a film. I thought it was really cinematic. And I thought that somebody who has a really good visual inclination could easily this that could be it like it either could be an episode of something like like a like an anthology type series or you could you could pad it and and you could put more in it and then it could be like a 90 minute feature for sure when world war z came out well no let me fix that before world war z came out Mm -hmm. when people thought it might have anything to fucking do with the book um, that's sort of where, cause I was always reluctant to write any zombie, anything, but Crocodile mm-hmm. Rock came about and I thought this would be like a zero day. It's another one of those zero day stories that I love so much. But from a perspective that you don't see often. Exactly. From the street involved perspective, which mm-hmm. isn't, no, it's, it's underutilized. It's underexploited if you want to use the word exploited there, mm-hmm. but it would have to be adapted. I could easily write a screenplay, but it would have to be adapted by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that. For all the fun ideas that we could have, we could sit and spitball fucking horror movie ideas. We do it anyway. We yeah, do it we, on shows. We, we rewrite scripts for these <laughs> poor filmmakers that have worked so hard to I know, bring and us I'm the just horror like, we talk about. Well, what I would do, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, he actually pushed his glasses up his nose when he said that. He really, I wish that you had a visual. For that. that was beautiful. But yeah, for me. Definitely this. I like this ice sculptor killer idea. The lot. ice sculptor killer has a lot of potential. Oh, yeah. Because you could, like, like it, it, okay, beyond, like, the, the, the meat 
sculpture that I know you don't like the idea of. But I was like, you could you could like trap people in ice. The ice sculptures could have blood in it, or you know what I'm saying. So like, you could have these this really powerful contrast of blood and snow, like you were talking about. And there's all types of uh, potential for that. Just the tools that an ice sculptor would use. That's all your like crazy kill devices. And you could give them a really cool outfit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I also like the idea of a killer being right out front and center. It's oh, yeah. sort of like they're screaming, catch me, catch me. Yeah. And they're hiding in plain sight. That's oh, yeah. especially I really like. Especially if, if you're doing scenes where this is a, a celebrated ice sculptor. It doesn't have to be like some guy doing this in his backyard. He could be a fucking winter loot. You know what I'm saying? And like yeah. people watching them and clapping and being in awe and, and maybe not knowing the grotesque thing that lies inside. How does he make it red? Like... <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, you could do all kinds of crazy shit like that. So, yeah. That's kind of a lengthy answer that we didn't really answer. But I guess what we're really saying is we're not movie makers. You're a, you're a novelist, a short yeah. story writer, and I'm a comic book writer. So that's what we stick to best, I think. I would make a maniacal killer movie, and Wes would make a some sort of grindhouse, splatter, Asian-influenced, awesome-tastic fucking gormas <laughs> with swords <laughs> with swords and chainsaws and guns that just shoot gunk at people I thought it was like guns that shoot swords <laughs> guns that shoot sh- that swords. would be about your speed that Wes would like that guns that shoot <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get me through the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mr. Nichols. Yeah, thanks. Great question. And if you guys have any questions at all, you can message us on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at West Dead Air Nipe on Twitter. And you can also do our Facebook page, Spotted Pictures slash Dead Air Podcast. So speaking of adaptations, source material, and plots for fun horror movies... Suicide Club has a manga, and I hear that the manga makes sense. (laughs) To be fair, the manga came out at the same time, so it's not, it's sort of, the the, the author of it was given carte blanche to redo the story and make it a little bit more straightforward. I think that Suicide Club has a reputation of being a little bit difficult to follow, but, I mean, going into it, I obviously was aware of that even though my first experience with suicide club was in the very very early stages of my interest in j-horror this was i think i had probably just seen ringu and i had probably just seen juan and it was in that era where i was getting really into things like verses things like Battle Royale, mm-hmm. where where we were, where I was seeing all of the different types of horror that uh, Japan, Asia in general, had to offer. Uh, because it's not all stringy-haired ghost girls, even though I love those stories too. But it's such a wide spectrum, and and Suicide Club falls in this interesting category where it's not quite as exploitative as something like Machine Girl, but it's also not as tame as something like Ringu or Juwan. Or it doesn't really fall into that category. And and it's way more violent than even Battle Royale is. Battle Royale like definitely has violence in it, don't get me wrong, but 
but it it certainly doesn't have the um the sort of visceral level that suicide club has yeah this is surprisingly gory and surprisingly lighthearted where battle royale is not as gory as it seems to be mm-hmm. and extremely dark and it's angry making because seeing the strife that the students are going through for what fucking reason none cruel mm-hmm. stupid reasons you mm-hmm. you get kind of like edgy watching it right mm-hmm. whereas this it should be something considering the topic of suicide that you should have a little more compassion and you should be feeling the strife but you're not because it's so lighthearted yeah well there is a a lot of controversy surrounding this movie particularly when it came out it wasn't as bad as when battle royale came out when battle royale came out obviously this was the same year as the columbine massacres it was completely outright not released uh, in region one whatsoever i had a korean subtitled copy of battle royale that i don't want to disclose how much i paid for it (laughs) too much too much money um, little did I know that The Hunger Games would come along and change everything, and all of a sudden, movies like Battle Royale became a profit center. So, of course, the same year Hunger Games came out, a brand new copy of Battle Royale came out on Blu-ray with the sequel intact and, and you know, cost nothing, right? And I uh, just, you know, I bought it because I'm like that, and... <laughs> <laughs> but I never got rid of my original Korean dubbed one because I paid too much money to get rid of it. <laughs> so, But these types of movies coming out at this time were in a way a, a direct response to what was happening in Japan at the time. So the early 2000s and the late 90s saw a massive increase in youth violence and teen suicide. Not like suicide has always been a massive problem in Japan and of course now in 2016 we're completely aware of the the staggering suicide rates all over the world but you know Yeah, they have twice the suicide rates rate as us here in Canada. Yeah. So that was really all coming to light and so they have twice, I just want to clarify, they have twice the suicide rate of us here in Canada as of 2014. As of 2014. Yeah, there was this noted uptick during mm-hmm. the late 90s Yeah, in Japan. In Japan, yeah. So the best thing that any type of horror, any type of, any type of um, creative endeavor is you look out the window and you create something either to, to comment on it, exploit it, however you want to look at it, but look out the window and create something that reflects the world that you're seeing. And so movies like Battle Royale, which was a response to... If you violence and and arrogance and, and the out-of-control young people of our country, if it gets too far, this will be our solution. To basically to, to teach you to be a, a disciplined obedient member of society we will randomly select districts and you will kill each other like and, and that is the, the the sort of like apocalyptic view of of that suicide club is the is is a, a way of sort of explaining the unexplainable rash of suicides and and sort of the dumbfoundedness that authority figures were faced with where people want answers family want answers and then when the world turns its lens to your country because this is becoming such an issue they want answers what's happening why yeah because what's happening is 
is is the incredible pressures of the individual in places like that. And sometimes suicide can feel like the only solution. I mean, I couldn't possibly fathom what that must be like because I live a very privileged and charmed life. And many Japanese did too. It's just under so much pressure to maintain that privileged life because mm-hmm. it really was up to the individual to mm-hmm. not only maintain it, but be in a position where they deserve that through hard work. Mm-hmm. be it school or a career mm-hmm. or marrying properly just having a nice normal even keel blending in sort of lifestyle which isn't as much of a pressure cooker now as it was through history and up till today and also having suicide be something that wasn't necessarily as taboo mm-hmm. as it is over here yeah there's places where you can't even say the word suicide among some circles. It's not polite conversation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Not that it's ever necessarily polite conversation. There are some people that are so traumatized or so sheltered by talking about suicide that you need to really gently shoehorn the fucking issue into the mm-hmm. front covers of the newspapers. Mm-hmm. We've had a horrible suicide problem amongst our First Nations people here in Canada for a very long time. Absolutely. If not because of or beginning with the residential school problem Mm -hmm. since then with alcohol substance abuse the reservation system the indian act basically has really fucked over our first nations it's done an incredible amount of damage so their suicide rate is probably on par with what the japanese were experiencing and probably what they continue to experience if their suicide rate is twice what we have in canada our general population our First Nations is twice, if not more, one in five First Nations individuals report having suicidal thoughts. And that's what they report, right? Exactly. And, and that's... this is only new news. It's only We've known about the suicide problem, the Lysol and gas drinking problems, the mm-hmm. rampant substance abuse, mm-hmm. alcoholism, things like that, malnutrition and poverty, especially on our reserves. But it's only the last couple years that it's really ended up on the front headlines, the front covers of our nation's newspapers, and only in the past couple of months where it's there's a massive call to action yeah. to look into this and find out exactly what's going on and kind of save some of the young kids that are committing suicide. Because it is these 14-year-olds, same as in Suicide Club, mm-hmm. 12, 14, 15-year-olds mm-hmm. en masse. I don't know if there's so much suicide cults, mm-hmm. but individual suicides among youth is staggeringly high here. Yeah, absolutely. In First Nations, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So it's the same problem just countrywide in Japan Mm -hmm. in this film. The movie um, opens up... With the best opening scene in a subcar platform ever. (laughs) A lot of times horror movies will try to kick you in the teeth right away. And we've talked about it before. Every time when we watch Reanimator or, or, or things like that. It Follows is a good example. It, yeah, it Follows. It, they, they get you, they, they try to let you know what you're in for. Uh, a movie that came out years ago that everyone talked about the opening sequence and then nothing else after it was Ghost Ship. Yeah, I knew that was the one you were going because it is like, a brilliant opening scene. It, it, it's incredibly well done, and I remember, I remember there was uh, uh, two waves of trailers. The first wave of trailer was like, "Come see Ghost Ship. There's a ghost and a ship." <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't remember what the trailer said, but that's what it was. Yeah. And then this, after the movie had come out, 
the second wave of trailers was see the movie with the most shocking opening five minutes. Wow. Like, like and, and to the point where you're, you're just like, this trailer is literally just telling me to watch the first five minutes of this movie. Which That's... is fine. You could get away with that and have a happy day. Yeah, but then you would have missed that cool music montage at the end, because I like when everyone in the ship's dying, too. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. The rest of the movie's done, though, just for the record. Suicide Club has this amazing scene. Amazing scene. Where 54 schoolgirls just giggling, laughing at the platform, waiting for the subway. All class hands, and almost like they're just going to jump into a... A really cold lake. There's like one, two, three, and just all jump down onto the tracks. This subway hits them and creates a torrent of gore. Like a tidal wave of blood splashing on everyone left on the platform. Just use body parts, glass breaking, waves of blood. Like... Uh, like, we see a head run over quite... It's the, the poorest effect, actually, in this whole effect. Yeah. Uh, because I'm fine with all the huge, huge splashes of blood and pools of blood and blood covering all the windows and blood spraying out of the one head that gets crunched by the wheels, which is cut from some releases. That's where we fortunately have the uncut version because I will not stand for cut versions of movies in my film collection. And boy, does he hate it when he ends up having to see one. My <laughs> God. But yeah, the this effect is a showstopper. Wow, right? Yeah. And even if the rest of the movie is rather tame by comparison, which it's not, but... Even if it was, I feel like you, you got you got the you got your money's worth. Like <laughs> like you want to see Suicide Club, you want to see fifty four people jump in front of a train simultaneously. What that might be like? <laughs> there you go. I like that all the bodies, and even a little later on, because you're right, it, it is not short on the gore, but all these bodies, probably fairly accurately, so. Just explode like fucking water balloons full of Kensington gore. They're just (laughs) blood everywhere. Later on, there's some more of that, actually. So it's not, you know, it's like a theme in this movie that bodies just explode like water balloons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you're right. It is a great opening scene. (laughs) So 54 schoolgirls have suddenly committed suicide. But why? And why were they so cheerful and everyone was so shocked? Because this isn't... An example of, look, sometimes when you're dealing with some of the Japanese grindhouse movies, you are dealing with worlds that are created where life is cheap. And it doesn't matter how grotesquely someone is killed in front of them. They probably don't even care. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you watch Tokyo Gore Police and, like, graphic deaths are part of the culture that they've created in this not-too-distant future. So when you're dealing with Suicide Club, you're like, oh, is this, like, just a world where people get splattered in blood and they just go back to work? No. Everyone's mortified and appalled and scared and confused. Absolutely. They don't close anything down, though. No. And I I was thinking that, like, we were talking after the film was over, and I was thinking during the film, if this was a North American story, everyone would be fucking freaking out. Everyone would be crying. I don't think anyone cries in this movie. Uh, Everything would be shut down. All the kids would be basically detained and questioned. A few kids are questioned, but they're not, like, locked down mm-hmm. there's no curfew there's no nothing's shut down it's mm-hmm. not um it's investigated properly sure but it's not like 
worldwide moral panic that there would be over here. Probably because of our more taboo, weird, uncomfortable attitudes towards suicide. But people are upset in this film. They definitely are. And it's going to start a full-fledged investigation, not before we're treated to a scene with two nurses in a hospital who are just going about their daily business. And this scene, I think, was specifically put in there to show that... Curry and coffee do not go together. Well, there's that. But I think (laughs) mostly it's about just the weird flippant attitudes that people have towards killing themselves and seemingly having no motivation to do so they none of them seem like they're on the edge of ending their lives they're they're going out to buy some food they're coming back they're having casual conversations with each other they are well they're not despondent they're not sad they're not talking to other people about it and sure you could say Many, many times people who've committed suicide don't give any warning signs. They plan this in their own head, and it's really a very singular, personal thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, people aren't reaching out for help, mostly because if they do, someone will stop them, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the case at all here either, at all. These are happy, well-adjusted people that are not thinking about suicide, mm-hmm. which is the key. Absolutely. And But <laughs> the one nurse... He's just like, oh, where'd she go? You can tell clearly that the, the this security guard, who is like Scooby Doo stock it's character, kind of useless. Like he's so scared of everything. He goes to the window and sees fingerprints on it. You, as the audience, understand that oh, someone's clearly opened this window and probably yeah. jumped, jumped over. But it's not until her friend gets back where she is saying. Oh, here's here's her food. Oh, we don't know where she is, but here's her food. Well, see you later. And she and she's like, she's so cheerful and upbeat that it takes him like a long time to register what she's doing. And I feel like that's a re- that's a reasonable reaction. If someone was smiling at me and being chipper and saying like, oh, you want some of her food? I'm like, all right. And they went over to a window and then they would start crawling out the window like, see you later. I wouldn't really even know how to process it you know yeah because part of you would be thinking they're joking for one especially if they're just chipper and it's a normal day Mm -hmm. and you'd be caught off guard because they just handed you food i guess i don't know yeah well i get super distracted when i get free food so i'm like oh what food you say (laughs) curry and coffee though i don't know man i'd crush it yeah I'm just, you know what? Not surprisingly, I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> but he isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, this guy, anyway. No. He's really not. No. But that's sort of what we're dealing with here, with this attitude towards suicide. 54 chipper, happy schoolgirls suddenly clasp hands and jump in front of a train as if it was not premeditated, just mm-hmm. suddenly, for no reason. Like it's a game. Yeah, like it's a game. And then these nurses just decide to haul off and jump on windows for no real reason. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the cops are involved, mm-hmm. especially in the larger investigation. Mm-hmm. This is um, usually when it gets to police officers standing around investigating things. I have such a fucking, like, I'm such a child. Like, I get so bored. I just get so bored. I don't get bored by these police. Like, no, this, this is my point. Oh, okay. I liked these cops. I feel like each one of them is enough of a character. 
Um, I feel what they're saying is interesting to me. Plus, you know, when you're reading, when you're uh, watching something with subtitles, I have to pay attention more because I'm reading as well as watching. So I can't, the phone can't just slowly come in front of my face and I just start like seeing what's going on on uh, Twitter real quick. Like I can't do anything like that, which is a which is a nasty bad habit that I have when it comes to certain um as soon as it gets boring for one second. I like I, I like look, I'm not saying it's a way to react. I'm not saying it's a healthy attitude to have. All I'm saying <laughs> is it an attitude that I have. That's okay. I'll I'll straight up get up and go and put on laundry and then get distracted and like start <laughs> dusting something. So like, yeah. But this time I really liked it. I really dug all the there's one particular like old grizzled cop who a bald, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, Detective Murata. It, it just has this permanent frown on his face and he always kind of looks like he just wants to be someplace else. It just always kind of sounds like he doesn't really believe what he's listening to. And that's really fantastic. Yeah, he's really fun to watch. There's a lot of juxtaposition in the types of police that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Some detectives like Murata, but I'm positive it's Murata, um, are like the reluctant detective. And then you have some eager young bucks kind of thing. Some more rookie, maybe younger detectives. That Hot-blooded are, and passionate. Yeah. And then you have like your seasoned detectives detective your nice gumshoe type detective in Kuroda our main character Kuroda is a really great character he kind of reminds me a little bit of um Light's father from Death Note yeah I was gonna say Nagami Light's dad is exactly this sort of guy like a very by the book a good Mm -hmm. family man like Mm -hmm. he's just a very well-rounded detective Mm -hmm. Who's, who's never not being a detective you know what I'm saying like even though when he gets home and his kids are utilizing the internet. And that's what's really interesting about this. This is also proving a disconnect between internet culture and the traditional older generation of, of uh, people living in Japan circa 2002. Because he doesn't know anything. He relies on his children to... what? What's this group you're listening to dessert who's that and then how do i email what's a bbs yeah yeah like what is all this stuff like and what are these websites because there's a million questions that these police officers have likely i don't even think these police officers have cell phones for crying out loud do they uh i think they it's not till the end when they're on the platform the second time that i think they see them with cell phones but yeah they're all like landlines and stuff yeah landlines uh fax machines <laughs> the, the internet's probably super duper slow um and they're all like their big box monitors and shit but there's a million ideas about what's going on but they're baffled for the most part some of them suggest it, was it a cult? Was it a was it a a pact? Like what what these are not these are fifty four schoolgirls from multiple schools. There was no connection between these deaths. So what brought them all together? What brought them to that platform? Why did they all agree? And the idea that it could be something online doesn't really dawn on them because their brains don't think that way. Could these people have possibly been chatting online? Is there something going on on the internet? Or something like that. They get tipped off from some, what do you call them, hacktivists? I don't know. And hacktivist is absolutely not the word for these people. They are just nerds. 
They're nerds. They are just nerds. There's a pair of women that have stumbled across a website that they want to bring to the police's attention. The website is really weird. All it seems to be is a bunch of dots that show up that correlate with how many people have just killed themselves. By the way, Lydia, in case you were wondering, these dots seem to appear before there's any official police reports on it, which means that somehow somebody who's uploading this information knows how many people are going to kill themselves and precisely when. Yeah, that's what the bat says. This I, I hesitate to use the word hacker because the bat doesn't actually do any hacking. They are just a bulletin board system savvy IRC webmaster webmaster type person. I'm not exactly sure exactly what they are, but they're fluent in BBS. And they say to the police that these dots are appearing as it happens. And later on, I'd sort of question that because some people end up dying and then the dots appear after. But now that you pointed out, it's they're showing up before there's any news release, any police report, before the police are even aware. So it could be somebody that's watching. Mm-hmm. Maybe not somebody who's masterminding, but it mm-hmm. could be somebody that's masterminding this. Very, very creepy, no matter how you slice it. And no matter when this is happening, 2002 or next week, mass suicides on this scale, especially with unconnected people, being tracked on a website, even in a visual format, but being uploaded by the minute, that's fucking crazy. That's pretty creepy. No, I 100% agree. It's also pretty creepy that the police don't only have this phone call from the bat as a clue, they also have a more physical clue, don't they? Man, do they ever. They find... (laughs) What would you call it? A roll of meat? A roll of meat. I saw someone refer to it as a human skin cinnamon roll. Oh, yeah. I thought it was intestines at first. Just a big roll of intestines. Sort of like the intestines in Turbo Kid that would have ended up around the bicycle tire. That's sort of (laughs) what I would be picturing. But, like, this not intestines at all. It's way worse than that. And this is straight out of, like, one of those crime horror novels or movies where someone finds, like, a freezer full of kids' feet. Or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. They find strips of skin. The skin is sewn together and rolled up. If you could imagine the same way you would roll up like an old fire hose or something like that. Yeah, it's like a three inch, maybe. They said they're ten centimeters long, these strips. All sewn end to end into one big long strip. Mm-hmm. And yeah, rolled up like a fire hose. And put into... Like a purse, like it's a duffel bag of some kind. Yeah, it's in a Ziploc and then in a huge, It's they call it a sports bag. But yeah, it is a, like a little duffel. Yeah. The reaction to all the police officers when they open these things is gut-wrenching stench, I suppose. Come to think of it, it looks kind of like a bowling ball bag. Do you think it's maybe supposed to be Yeah, a something bag? like that. You know what? To get the proper visual so people know what we're talking about, fucking bowling ball bag. That it pretty much dead. I would explain the small two-lane bowling alley, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, we don't really know. So we're going on with our narrative, and the police are just trying to figure out what the fuck is happening. Now – they do have some of the, the, the teen girl bodies at the morgue that have in few, a big mess of pieces. Like fused together almost from I guess getting run over the track, all that heat, all that pressure. <laughs> you just have 
a lot of shit all kind of mangled together. And they could see that on these bodies, some of these, they're missing sections of skin. But that doesn't make any sense. So they're not sure if somebody is taking strips of skin off of people and then they're killing themselves or are these people killing themselves and then somebody strips skin off of them and then makes a roll and then leaves it for people to find it within nanoseconds because this bag shows up being placed down in the pool of blood that is slowly forming because of this fucking massive suicide Mm -hmm. so that they'd have to stop time to do that Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of questions and the pace of this movie is really good because there's enough of this crazy violence going on to keep you interested but there's also a really cool mystery going on. You're trying to really figure out what the fuck's going on. And and you're learning it along with the police. It's not one of those scenarios where you're waiting for characters to catch up. To yeah, what we you don't have a bird's know. eye view on the killer or the mastermind or whoever. Nothing. It's left purposefully ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I love that type of shit. I can't stand it when I'm waiting for characters to figure out something I already know. Yeah. Um, look, if I've somehow outsmarted the movie and I figured it out, I'm less irritated. But when they literally, here's what the killer's doing, trying to figure it out, I'm like, bullshit. I don't know. Either either have everyone know right away, or if if none of the characters know in the movie, then I shouldn't know. Because then I'm just waiting, 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 and I hate that shit. Mm-hmm. So we're introduced to the character of Mitsuko, who... <laughs> Barely, barely dodges her boyfriend dropping off of a building. Which is almost the funniest scene in the movie. It's pretty slapsticky. Yeah. And by the way, this whole time we keep getting spliced in with music from an idol group from Japan called Dessert. Yeah, like what you would have after dinner. Yummy, yummy, sweet dessert. And they're pretty sweet because they're like 12 years old. Their average age is 12.5 years old. That's really weird. <laughs> and they are singing at first this song called Call Me or no, Mail, Mail Me. Mail Me. That's it. Mail Me. Yeah. That wasn't my favorite song in this whole film, no, by the way. No. Mail Me. So they're, everyone has this as their ringtones. Everyone watches them on TV. The whole family sit down and watch this thinking band. It's, it's weird to me because... In Japan, their idol system is really big, and the uh, a lot of these uh, either singular singers or girl groups can become really popular. Uh, for those who don't really know, the idol system in Japan is basically a packaged singer. So uh, almost like back in the day when like actors were owned by studios, it's kind of the same thing where a company uh, that produces music or whatever will basically pluck. Uh, Teens, very young girls, and dress mold them, them up and shape them mold, into... into performers, and then and that's and that's just what it is, and it's very successful in Japan, and so that's what this girl so baby metal is probably the most palatable, believable, fun, and listenable, although metal idol group, and they are more their own free agents, but it's that sort of idea. So picture baby metal it's, yeah, it's without ba- the metal. <laughs> yeah, baby metal without the, the metal, because what baby metal was, like it was a combination of metal music and the idol system in Japan. Yeah. Their new album is really good. <laughs> Anyways. So this is like baby metal, but in pajamas. 
And not doing any metal, but I'm yeah, it's the... <laughs> what did you say about their dancing? Their dancing is about as good as mine was with the first burlesque routine that I ever did. <laughs> that is frightening because I've never seen your bur- burlesque routine, but I have seen these girls dance, and it's so frightening to think of. <laughs> like, it's not sexy at all. It's no, like, it's, it's, not not, it's not sexy. Yeah. But it I'll is. I'll find the video. I'll get the video and I'll show you. Oh my God. Yeah. Listeners, I'm smiling so big. Um, so. Actually, I kick their asses. I kick dessert's ass, but only by like a percentage. So they're not very good dancers. They're not typically as polished as idols. And that's the whole key here is that um, an idol band or an idol would be an extremely polished their dance moves would be on par their singing is excellent mm-hmm. the background music is impeccable and performed wonderfully and it's always a huge spectacle oh yeah and that's oh, yeah. like you could sort of laugh off idol culture and it is a spectacle to behold oh hell yeah i can see that being like uh, an addictive thing to get into the this band dessert though and you had said that it's like um a farce of or like satire. It seemed like it was it was deliberately supposed to be terrible. Yeah, like because the music isn't good, their singing isn't good, the lyrics are stupid. Mail me, I mean, hello. Yeah, I know. And they're like twelve. Yeah, it's it, it seems to be packaged to be for this movie as obnoxious as possible. Yeah, and to have sort of frivolous bubblegum crap playing as much as possible. Look, there's a time and place for everything. I think that a lot of people's problem with this movie, the controversy that surrounds it, is the fact that a lot of this stuff is going on while this very cheerful music is playing. Even if it's not some of Dessert's hit tracks, it's other light music. And so I think it all brings this air of uh, frivolousness to the subject of suicide, especially there's a scene that we jumped over before we met what I guess would be considered the our, our main one of our main characters of the story would be the scene at the high school where teenagers are discussing the mass suicide that happened on the platform. Yeah, because we're kind of tugged one of two ways. We we are subject to seeing fifty four schoolgirls get fucking demoed by a speeding subway car, mm-hmm. and it's graphic and gross. And then we get to meet the band Dessert on TV. And mm-hmm. it's cheerful and happy. And then we see this fireman's hose thing that is strips of human skin and the which, police which, are gagging in their hands. Which even seems more serious than even the opening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it oh, almost it's way creepier. Yeah, it seems like it from a completely different movie, but in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 you said, like more of like like a like a a true crime type thing or or like more about a serial killer as opposed to about what the movie is Yeah, the sort about. of forensic pathology that we don't get to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something yeah. severely fucked up. Yeah. And then we meet up with a bunch of school kids on top of the roof of a school, hanging out on their lunchtime, and they're making jokes about killing themselves. They're almost playing like a follow-the-leader kind of joke back and forth, threatening to jump off the building. Mm-hmm. And they're also discussing the previous suicide. And saying how gross it was that the train couldn't stop because it was so greased by human grease that yeah, it couldn't human break. grease. Which would almost be true. Like, the first time I saw the first huge death of 54 girls, I was like, wouldn't it be able to stop? How would it get through? Wouldn't the 54 bodies slow it down? But then I thought, no, this is like 
trying to stop a car on shad flies because in North Bay we get this like inch thick layer of mayflies every season when they come out of the lake and there's like literally an inch thick writhing carpet of these things over the shoreline areas of the city and if you suddenly come up on a red light too quickly and brake too quickly you can slide straight through an intersection and it does cause accidents so it's the same sort of thing right Mm -hmm. instead of sliding on millions of dead mayflies in a car it's this really way faster and heavier subway sliding on the gore of 54 girls Mm -hmm. absolutely and these these kids um they they're they want to. They want to bring out. Uh, uh, they want to get more members, like to their suicide club that they're talking about, and they want to beat the record. Fifty-four girls. We should have a hundred people. Are kill you themselves. serious? Dead serious. Dead serious. And and it's like they're joking, and you think that it's a game. Like, God, come on, guys, come with me. I'm gonna go kill myself. And they're like, Yeah, let's go. Me first. Me, me first. first. Me first. And and you don't think that they're serious, but also at the same time, you're like, What's the end game? What's the end game of this joke? Yeah, like, like you're expecting almost like an adult to come up and be like, you guys stop goofing around. Your friends died, <laughs> you yeah, know, or something exactly. like that. But no, they just continue joking around and one of them gets up on the ledge and the other one says, no, no, I'll show you how to do it. And then they, much like on the platform at the beginning of the movie, the they clasp hands and... They one, two, three, and then it cuts down to the outside, and a bunch of them jump, almost all of them, except for three. Yeah. Uh, one of them who definitely thought that they were joking, to a, a, a male student who thought they were joking, who got who then gets subsequently pulled down because this girl sort of like creepily lurches to him, almost in a trance, and says, we have to die with them, and pulls them off. And then when everyone realizes what's happened and, and like teachers and other students who are uh, not un, like not doing this are like what are you doing she says we're the charter charter members of the suicide club yeah and it's weird to me that everyone rushes up to the top of the building because i mean a hundred school kids just jumped off of it they're all down on the floor like i don't know what they were expecting to find I'm sure they found the one girl up there but everyone just jumped off the building so up on top of the building isn't where the scene is it's really but yeah strange. it is strange and it is sad and weird that she's like brainwashed it's like they competed against one another to brainwash one another because there was no other inside outside there was no other outside influence they weren't on their phones they weren't on the internet they hadn't got messages they hadn't been cajoled by any outside influence whatsoever to do this they had started out joking about suicide and ended up all jumping off the building. Mm-hmm. So what the scene sort of says to me is like, is this just a peer pressure thing? Mm-hmm. Is this something that was a seed planted within all of them? And just when they were able to joke about it and talk about it in a really open fashion, that that all flourished among them all at the same time? Was it a follow the leader thing? A meme before a meme, just like this idea that just is like infected through all these kids mm-hmm. um something that got completely carried away but then if that was true i would think that the three students that didn't initially jump like who then then jump because i don't know out of some obligation it was crazy but like because the mood 
of the three remaining students is completely different. Yeah. It, it's uh, the guy is scared, terrified. He doesn't actually want to jump. The uh, the one girl, creepy girl, creepy girl seems like manic almost. Well, we have to jump. And like, then, she almost didn't jump because he didn't jump, and she's stayed behind to make sure he commits suicide. Yeah. And while then, he's basically murdered. And the last girl really. is just solemn, right? Just so serious. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm jumping. Isn't this fun? Mm-hmm. She absolutely knows what she's doing, but feels like she has to do it. She's our spokesperson. Yeah. So, that's when, the, so it's after that scene that we're introduced to uh, Mitsuko. <laughs> Her boyfriend tries to jump off. Well, does jump off the building, uh, has enough strength to apologize for hitting her because he's, he smucks her ear and it causes it to bleed. And she, what do you say about this girl? She's not very helpful. The cops have been through sort of the ringer, really, because they've investigated all of these the first 54 schoolgirls. They've dealt with this fucking weird cinnamon roll of human flesh. Then they've gone to the school where they're finding things like pieces of limbs and human ears on ledges and the blood is everywhere because it is again like water balloons full of fucking blood mm-hmm. all over the front of the school so the cops have been through the ringer so now they're dealing with this girl whose boyfriend just committed suicide in front of her on top of her basically mm-hmm. and she's like stoic unhelpful they're like do you think that he meant to kill himself and she's like beats me they're yeah. like, can I go now? Yeah, I don't know. Like, right right after it happened, she, like, storms into a fucking cafe. And is like, coffee. <laughs> well, I would do the same thing. I can't blame her for that. Although, <laughs> later on, her attitude, it doesn't really change. But it's not that she's not interested at all. It's not that she's not interested. But she just doesn't want anything to do with the police for some reason. And it's not because she's an outcast or a deviant by any means at all. She seems to be a very well-adjusted, school-attending, typical young Japanese girl, but she's just not interested in dealing with the cops. Maybe because one of them hit on her? I don't know. Maybe. I like her attitude with the umbrella. I think that kind of sums her up. She walks out of the cop shop after being questioned to, to, with no real help or end, and it's raining outside. She has an umbrella, and she walks a little ways out of the door and throws the umbrella on the ground. One of the police asks her for her phone number because I guess he thinks she's cute. And then she just walks away, leaving the umbrella on the ground. It weirded me out because it's raining like cats and dogs. <laughs> I like that term. And no one, but no one was like, you're obviously under duress. You're obviously freaked out. You're obviously having a psychological break because you just walked out into the rain and tossed the umbrella five feet from the door mm-hmm. i don't know why the cop stopped her to get her phone number because she's cute he didn't stop her to say like are you okay mm-hmm. very strange well they strange. they they had her uh strip search they needed to strip search her for god knows why but it, it's they're looking for the tattoo and strips of skin oh that's right well because yeah, does... they're still not sure if these strips of skin are coming off people before or after mm-hmm. well she does have a butterfly tattoo on her shoulder blade mm-hmm. so she's got that going for her Maybe that's why he hit on her. Maybe. He's like, ink girls. Uh." Creeper. (laughs) They call him on it, too. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, they get points for that. While this is going on, while our police officers are trying to get to the bottom of this, they have a very mysterious phone call that's given to them by a kid 
that is constantly clearing their throat. Yeah, I don't know if they just smoke too much cigarettes or if they have cystic fibrosis or something. Something. This person is calling. It's a really good device because it's genuinely creepy. I like it too. Um, to have this anonymous phone call from this kid. You're not sure quite at first, is this a little girl or is it like, and they're like, oh no, it's definitely like a little boy. Uh, every time they speak, they stop speaking. They <clears throat> clear their throat. And then they say more shit. And what they're saying... Makes no sense. It's gibberish. They seem to have a lot of information about the suicides. They seem to be insistent that the suicide club doesn't exist. This idea of the suicide club doesn't exist, even if the kids think that it exists. So they also seem to be talking about this weird nebulous sense of connectivity. Yeah, they won't answer questions directly about the suicide club except with to negate the suicide club, but then will insist on asking this police officer or this detective if he's connected to himself. Which is kind of a fucked up question to ask a detective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's really strange. And they hang up. After letting them know that on the same platform at 7.30, more people are going to die. Which is really ominous. And the police don't know whether to take it seriously or not. But as you pointed out, why wouldn't you take this seriously? You literally have no leads. So what, are you, what else are you doing with with all of your manpower, you may as well st- st- uh, stake this out if there's even a chance. Yeah, and it's not like, even at that point where I know that in a different culture, they probably would have locked down the schools by this point. But all they need to do is send a couple guys just to keep an eye on everything, just to see if this caller, you know, if they do have inside information, something will happen. Maybe they're trying to lure the police out to observe them. And at least they will know at that point, if that happens, that they are being observed by this person. Then it could be a false lead. It could Mm. be just a crackpot. Or it could be somebody who actually knows what's going on. And worst case scenario, a bunch of school kids or whoever. They said they're not sure if it's going to be girls or just kids are going to commit suicide and maybe there's the off chance they can stop it. So why not send some guys out? It only makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's something to do instead of just having that one detective sit there, look sour faced and wish he could be somewhere else. (laughs) Although he goes to the platform to do that. He does. And just leans on the railing and is not having it, man. You know what this movie made me realize, or at least for the sake of the narrative is they have just these constant waves of schoolgirls coming to these platforms. Because mm-hmm. it seems like every train, a bunch of them are just getting on and off. So it's like, holy hell, how do you how do you keep track of what's what? There's a special officers, from what I understand, that crowd control uh, platforms. They didn't show a whole bunch of them, but there is crowd control on platforms. Especially, it's always high volume, but it's at especially high volume times. Uh, lunch hours and work and when school's letting out and when after school's letting out and when mm. activities let out and stuff like that. So mm. there would be wave after wave after wave of kids in school uniforms. Mm. It's mostly girls they show, though. They don't show a lot of boys in school uniform. No, it's weird because you you know that uh, the, the boys are susceptible to whatever is happening in this so-called suicide club because there are males who are committing suicide. But they seem to be very focused on 
it's just a gaggle of girls just Maybe because they're so visibly different because a lot of the Japanese business people, the detectives themselves, parents, regular people, anyone just using the subway system don't really stand out because everyone wears a lot of just plain nice suits, right? Fitted suits. Mm. But the school girls are definitely in their school uniform, like right? Like sailor, sailor uniforms. Suit. Yeah. So I guess the boys wouldn't stand out as visually against the backdrop of business people and stuff. But like traditionally, the suicide problem hits men. In Japan. No, for sure. Absolutely. So it's sort of like a backwards statement in this film, but I think it's only because the girls are far more visually interesting. Mm -hmm. Probably. It's it's probably 100% that, you're right. Could be. We'll find out someday when we watch the prequel. Yeah, yeah, there is a prequel that apparently uh, helps us out on some of the more confusing plot points, and we're getting to them, man. Yeah, so far it's been pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. We have... Inexplicable suicides occurring. We have a police investigation. We have a, a mysterious website in which you can input your information and join the suicide club. There, we have a, some website that's tracking all these deaths. Yeah, and then we have the mysterious caller. mysterious caller. <clears throat> <clears throat> Are you connected to you? <laughs> but man, there's going to be some twists. And baby chickens. And turns. And baby chickens as well. So, as we're going through the story, and the police seem as baffled as ever, we're treated to a montage. A montage of deaths to let you know that there's been suicides peppered throughout this entire film. This movie is only about an hour and 40 minutes. There's a lot of death packed into this hour and 40 minutes. So when you're getting to the montage, it seems that, again, you have lighthearted music. You have families gathered around together. You People have... putting on performance art and things like that. Yeah, So there's yeah. a lot of lightheartedness and everyone seems happy. Yeah, before, like everyone seems happy and joking around. And either it's a person in a restaurant or, like you said, performance art or, or a mother uh, chopping up some daikon. They're all of a sudden, they just take these horrible turns buddy's fucking swallowing pills the daikon lady is just slowly cutting her fingers and and her hand while her little daughter is talking to her and and asking if she can have some chocolate and um this is all going cuts her finger off this is cutting her fingers off well you can ask them if you're good if you're good and and then the mommy's funny, mommy's silly. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, and blood everywhere. Blood is, she just keeps chopping away with like, a smile on her face. Doesn't even really seem to be noticing that she's doing it. There's this um, some sort of presentation with these two gentlemen up in front of a crowd of people, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how the topic gets to suicide, but. Someone suggests that one of the guys on stage kill themselves, and he's like, okay, and he's stoked. Stabs himself in the neck and just cuts, and he just drops dead. There's four girls that seem to be putting on a play. Mm -hmm. At first, I thought they were putting on a play, but now I'm not so sure. And it is about suicide, but super lighthearted and sort of like, well, why don't you just kill yourself? That's an excellent idea. Oh, I'd like to kill myself, too. Good, then we can both kill ourselves. Like, it's super happy and upbeat and, like, Girlfriends, too. It's like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, but with nooses. (laughs) Sisterhood and the Traveling Noose Knots. And they get up on chairs and they have the nooses. And I really thought it was performance art just for this, like, because 
they show the beginnings of all of these little scenes in this montage. And then once these four girls put the nooses around their neck and drop off their chairs and are dangling, I'm like, oh, okay. So everyone is really convinced. And then the guy sticks a knife in his neck. So it's like, oh, wow. These singular, unprovoked suicides are happening around the country to people who are not contemplating suicide. Yeah. Except for in the moment. From all walks of life, in all kinds of circumstances, by themselves, with people, with their families, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it seems that there's no real explanation. But we think there might be an explanation. Maybe. The movie might maybe makes you think that there's a bit of an explanation. Maybe. Because we're introduced to... uh, Well... We're introduced to a gang of sorts, Genesis. Yeah. What can I say? I don't know. You know what? We could have we could review this entire film and go through the entire plot and skip the whole Genesis bit, and it would be almost the exact same film because the Genesis bit, I was waiting for them to come back to it. They never did. So it's, like you said, it's like out of a whole other movie. Yeah. So the bat and her partner have been posting online about a lot of the stuff that's been going on in in the the suicide club phenomenon that has been sweeping Japan. Yeah, I think they're more like what we would think of as, like, I I hate the word hacktivist. I really, really do. Um, Because I don't consider people who had been in the first wave of people who visited bulletin boards and image boards As, like, hacktivists. They're more just, like, monitors. Mm. Like, anonymous. And there's portions of people who would subscribe to being part of anonymous that are, quote-unquote, hacktivists. Then there's people who would subscribe to being anonymous, especially, like, first-wave anonymous, who simply observe. They just simply observe. And that's more of what these two girls are. They're not really doing anything. And, yeah, they're letting the police know what's going on. But they're mostly just sitting back and eating popcorn and watching this all unfold. Mm-hmm. But they get kidnapped. They get kidnapped by the these weird... They get a link to, to something that just says, look behind you, and these guys, like they're fucking magic, are yeah. just right behind them. And the, the cops can't figure out who these girls are, but Genesis can. These fucking guys that look... Like, I don't even know what to say. It's... They're... I know I say this a lot. But they're fucking cartoon characters. Like Visual K, not quite idol level, but they're like it's like a, they're a Visual K band. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. th- there's there's like big hair and leather and even the the, the actors the the actors are all making big choices. Even if they don't, they're not even they don't have any fucking lines. They're just like sitting there like all <laughs> googly eyed and and just like fucking really just moving their bodies in really weird, fantastic ways. And if they laugh, it's the loudest, longest laugh that you ever did laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's it's so anime. You know what I mean? Yeah, they really, really are. Especially when, up until now, no one at all has been like that. This is, like, so far, um, sort of normal, dark, realistic crime thriller. And then all of a sudden we meet these, like, quasi-punk, hot-topic fucking victims that... Are straight out of a visual K band. Yeah, absolutely. 
And they're brought to this dilapidated bowling alley that has a bunch of people in sheets um, and then little animals in sheets. The sheets are the big thing here. They really like to wrap you up in sheets. Yeah, and someone's shot like a pillowcase. It's like you're in a big adult-sized pillowcase. Yeah. Now, then we meet the leader of this group. D- like, this... group, this band of rogues. We can call them a band because at one point one of them has a guitar. It's true. So we meet Genesis, who is kind of like a fucking... I don't know, what would you say? Like a fucking Sid Vicious Frankenfurter? Like, <laughs> just like... Just super theatrical, very fast. He's got sort of like wavy, cascading, platinum hair. and Way too much guy liner. Way too much guy liner. Just big old fucking platform shoes. I love his shoes. I know, like I'm jealous of them, don't get me wrong. He's wearing this huge sequin jumpsuit. Like it's a head to toe black sequin jumpsuit. So he's black and dark and menacing looking, but sparkly. Yeah. And, um... And he steps on cats, and he steps on dogs, and just crushes them with his big glam boots. And and they're in little, little pillowcases sewn shut, so it's sort of, it's strangely visually appealing in that he's this weird squish porn diva boy mm-hmm. that is murdering something that you can't quite see. So that mm-hmm. lets you detach from it a little tiny bit. Mm-hmm. But it is animal violence for those who can't hack that shit it's true um, um it is quite graphic too there's a lot of blood and even the people on like other characters are responding negatively to this yeah it is quite horrific actually mm-hmm. but i love his boots pretty good boots oh good they're th- awesome they're good stomping boots i'll give you that mm-hmm. now it is basically squish porn right there yeah he has brought these ladies to him for i suppose to preach his gospel like it's weird um he wants to sing him a song. He wants to sing him a song. He wants to be his own spokesperson in a way. Sort yeah. Of. He wants him to be his mascot, mm-hmm. s- sort of. I'm not really sure, but he's what? got a plan. He's got a plan that involves him singing, and he sings this song that goes on for a bit. It's not a bad song. It's catchy. Toe tapper, I guess. It's about dying a lot. Yeah, it's about dying, and I like that he's giving this like monologue about how he's going to bring so much attention to himself and he's finally going to be the name on everyone's lips and then poof he has a guitar and the song starts yeah. it's very Hedwig and the Angry Inch <laughs> he's like he's like an evil Hedwig with a cock probably. that guitar just fucking appears out of nowhere it's just he doesn't have a guitar and then he has a guitar He's like fucking, like, I think it's the powers that, like, Prince would have wished he had. Prince probably does have those powers. Do you think that Prince could manifest a guitar anytime he wants? Probably, if he wishes hard enough and believes in himself. The point is, is that, don't roll your eyes at me. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> rolling. I love those boots. Okay. Um, I'm going to Fluvog tomorrow, that's why. I'm all like, boots, 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 boots. I'm usually not such a chick, but I'm like, boots. Boots. <laughs> <laughs> this scene seems weird folks and it'll be over soon and it won't really matter because baby chickens well, yeah we're getting to that so the bat realizes that well her friend that she went there with is no longer among 
the land of the living. It's probably the most tense and harrowing scene in this because she's wrapped in this sheet and like sewn up in this sheet. So she can't really see what's going on around her, but she knows that her friend was there in a similar position beside her and she's feeling all around. She's feeling through the sheet and she can feel her friend's face and that she's not moving and she freaks right the fuck out and then tries to scramble up and hop away or Mm -hmm. sort of shuffle away. And type blindly through the keys. She has enough memory about how to type that she doesn't really need to look. So that's helpful. And she's trying to basically... No, Genesis originally got her to email the police officers to let them know that she'd been kidnapped because they want the attention. They're very much... They, they're not doing this so they're not going to get attention. They're doing this so they get attention. They specifically want it from the police. She comes back and tries to email them again. Genesis ca- uh, catches her in the act, but as opposed to wanting to uh, He doesn't try hidden, to stop her or no, anything. No. No. And so he reads what she says, and when it's not descriptive enough, he literally just pushes her out of the way and then writes their address down. <laughs> and cops. so, this, and that is the end of Genesis. They are arrested. He kind of preaches his gospel and says that he's had delusions of this since he was five years old or something. So, and and then he says it's like that song, and then he starts singing some song lyrics by dessert. By dessert. Um, now jigsaw puzzle. A, a jigsaw puzzle. Now our good friend uh, jigsaw puzzle isn't my favorite song by dessert. Our good friend Mitsuko hears this broadcast while she happens to be returning the helmet of her late boyfriend. He doesn't need this anymore. And you know what? If he had the helmet, maybe it would have helped. But there's a few, very little, very few, if you look for them, scenes in this film where people do respond to suicide and death quite properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be coming to another one later. But this one where she walks into the mother's house who's quite despondent mm-hmm. and realizes that she hasn't turned her calendar for mm-hmm. the three days since her son has died. So she takes the numbers off the calendar. Mm-hmm. And it's not only just the thinking of numbers and seeing some of the promotional f- photos of dessert and watching this clip of a dessert song. She's definitely got this numbers thing in her head. Mm-hmm. Now, when she goes to her boyfriend's bedroom, when, where the broadcast is playing, um, the, the the guy was a big dessert fan. He had posters. He's got all their CDs. And when he starts, when uh, Genesis starts singing these lyrics, it somehow clicks something in her mind where she's like, wait a minute. And she starts looking at... The numbers, the the position that the girls are face are are on the poster, and then the number of fingers they're showing in the photo. Yeah, because they're all gesturing with fingers. The, yeah. Aside from the traditional peace sign that a lot of girls use in selfies or photos of themselves when traveling or pictures of friends and stuff like that, or you know any other like little weird hand symbol you can think of, but the, all the girls are doing that, and they have numbers on their. What I keep thinking of is nightgowns. Yeah, I, th- like, I think they're supposed to be. It's supposed to be like pajamas or something. I think it's. Yeah, I think it is. And they have all got like sport numbers mm-hmm. on them, all different random ones. Mm-hmm. So she re- uh, punches in what those numbers might be on the on her phone, and those numbers spell out on her phone. Happy day. 
Close. Maybe chicken. Suicide. Oh. Close. This brings her to calling a number and, well, a, a young boy answers the phone. Yeah, it's strange because the suicide is the phone number and the number on the girl's nightgown outfit things is the code to get past the initial automated service Mm -hmm. and then someone answers. So it's like the suicide club is definitely linked to this band that everyone is infatuated with. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. Movie could end right there and I would just be like, that's creepy right there. Yeah, because in in a way, especially if people are a little bit more counterculture, the idea that this incredibly popular idol band was actually driving people to maybe possibly kill each other, kill themselves. And this number one song called Mail Me, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone has been taking them up on their offer. So they've had contact with people countrywide mm-hmm. of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. So she's hot on the trail. Now, on the other hand, what are the police up to? The police are about to kind of go into a pretty bad state it's where Detective Kuroda returns home. Now, his family has been helping him in a way with the investigation. Not so much his wife, but his kids like have their ear to the ground. They know all about dessert. Yeah, they're huge dessert fans, and they're online all the time. So, yeah, like you would said before, they are his like lifeline to technology. Mm-hmm. Well, he comes home kind of absent-minded. His daughter greets him, and we can see her, but we can't see him. Or he can't see her. She is drenched in blood like completely 100% drenched in blood and she walks away he finally notices that his floor is completely covered in bloody footprints and on his wall has a blood graffiti on it now which I'd love to know what that said I think it said um, uh, jump here I think that's what it was I don't know I don't know. Or mail me. (laughs) Maybe. Or jigsaw puzzle. But now we're basically in a state where he is is absolutely 100% in shock now. Because the next time we see him, all the police are there. They're trying to gather this information the best they can. And this is the first time, and I think that the reason why this scene was so important, was this was the first time where it didn't seem to be happening to a social other the police officers from this at this point, they're it's serious. I mean, it's a serious matter. What's going on? They're trying to find the answers, but there was a disconnect to it. There was an absolute sense that, well, this is the job and we're trying to figure this out and uh, we're just putting some facts together and we'll try to catch this person. But now this is one of our own family is completely gone. Yeah, where we could have a million witnesses or people who knew the victims or suicide victims. I, I'm never comfortable with the word victim of suicide because that doesn't make any sense. But um, no matter how many people could tell them in the thousands that, no, this person was the happiest person. They didn't have suicide on their mind. They probably wouldn't believe it. But they know that these kids were well taken care of, happily adjusted, and not thinking of suicide. So it really, really hits home. And then to have their number one detective, their lead detective, be nearly catatonic in grief and shock. Mm-hmm. On the couch, because he does do, and this is one of the very few more palatable and more 
familiar to us as a North American audience responses to suicide mm-hmm. is somebody being in utter shock, mm-hmm. especially to have his house painted with blood. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. They also noticed that their his uh, his son's skin has a patch missing from it as well. Yeah, I'm surprised they hadn't noticed that he had a tattoo because that was one of their number one things when they were on the platform the second time. They were singling out anybody that had tattoos and even had said, damn, these cheap tattoos, everyone has one nowadays. Mm-hmm. His son had one. His son had one that was very similar to the tattoos that they were tracking and finding on these strips of skin. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why he didn't put two and two together or if his son had only recently got the tattoo. It's hard to say. It takes a bit to heal those things. So Yeah, it didn't look that fresh. It looked fresh-ish, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not the best cops either because they'd walk up to this one girl, point between her tits, and say, "Is that a real tattoo?" And she's so, like, Ew. <laughs> "Yeah, they're not very good at this whole tattoo. The tattoos are new to them, let alone the internet." Yeah, it's no. too much like youth culture. Up it in is. Here. It is too much youth culture and too much like baffled adults. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, he gets a phone call from that kid who asks him if he understands. Do you understand now? The kid asks him a series of really inscrutable questions about connectivity again. This time asking or stating, if you were to die, you're still connected to your wife. You're still connected to your children. But who are you connected to if you were to kill yourself? What are you connected to in life? And he doesn't really have an answer to it because it's a weird it's a weird thing to ask because you would think that, okay, so let's say I kill myself. So whoever I'm connected to, either through friends or family, would that not also be my connection, right? Because we're all connected together. But they seem to be implying, or this boy seems to be implying, that there is a difference between other people dying and being connected to you and then you dying and then being connected to yourself. It's not, it's not, it doesn't go both ways. It's Maybe, beyond the riddle of the Sphinx. I don't get it. It makes no grammatical sense. So I gave up the first time it was asked. And then it was asked several times. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think that it comes, I think it might come down to the fact that. There's it, no life-saving answer to this. No, there's, it's, it's not really about a life-saving answer. But I think it's more about like, I think it's more about um, if since you kill yourself and all of your memories are therefore gone. Other people who remember you are your connection to this world. So other people can be connected to you, but you yourself can't be connected to anything else. This is all supposing that you give a shit about connectivity. Yeah, which I do. So that's Uh, why this is interesting. Okay. I'm waiting for this boy to call somebody that's just like, I do not give a fuck. And that's wanting to commit suicide or not totally aside. Mm -hmm. If he just like randomly like cold called some random person and asked them if they were connected to themselves. Whether they get the question or not get the question, do they even care? Mm-hmm. I suppose that this detective cares. Also because he's sitting in his living room that's painted with the blood of his family. Mm-hmm. Who he probably feels the connection pretty severed at this time. Yeah. Well, he went to work and he had a, a completely normal, functioning, happy family. And he came home to uh, a massacre. Mm-hmm. So... He ends up killing himself at the end of that scene. 
Yeah, it's quite sad too. Mm-hmm. It is. Out of all the suicides that are happy dappy and cheerful and strange and televised and like part of a pageant, I'm not mm-hmm. sure like how else to describe the the happy chanting, the countdown, three, two, one, and the four girls of sisterhood of the traveling nooses, mm-hmm. things like that. This is one of the only suicides that is really under duress mm. and. It's like it's completely outside of all the other suicides. He's Mm. committing suicide not because of some random fanciful notion all of a sudden that overcomes him and he cheerfully commits suicide. Not at all. He is bereft Mm. and completely disconnected from his family, himself, and everyone else. Maybe that was the gist of the question. It's true. It could could definitely be it, but... He blows his brains out right in front of all of his colleagues. Yeah, he does. This is where uh, a lot of the police officers are considering this murder at this point. Um, One of the best lines actually happens right there. um, Where it does really say a lot about the youth suicide problem in Japan, even in the rest of the world or anywhere. But specifically in Japan, because this was a huge problem where somebody is going to speak up. And this one detective is concerned because, you know, you're all considering it murder now all of a sudden. Is it murder just because of today? Is it just now today it's murder? And then what was everything else beforehand? It was murder all along. And he's super upset Mm. because it's having to say that, like, society is murdering our youth. If you apply it to what was actually going on in their society, right? Mm. That it is murder all along. And we could turn around and say, from the Indian Act forward... What we've been doing is systematically murdering our First Nations people. Mm. It's not suicide. They're forced into that. Therefore, it's murder, right? So that's sort of what he's saying at this point. And it's another, like, in such a weirdly back-and-forth, mood-shifting, happy-dappy film. Because mm. it is a cheerful, happy film. Mm. You've got this one line, really only one line. Like, you could take, like, all sort of sociological implications into every bit of this film but it's really just this one line of it was murder all along mm-hmm. that is super heavy duty so now we're kind of out of main characters well not really because we still have mitsuki she is going to go to the secret <laughs> not so much a secret but well, on the phone they said to her the same thing they keep saying to everybody else the suicide club doesn't exist but you can come over anyway yeah so you can come over so she goes to the stadium that is going to have a dessert concert. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. The weirdest... I think when people are talking about this movie is fucking weird and inscrutable, I think they might be talking about the next ten minutes of this movie. The next ten minutes of this movie is... The, move, the 10 minutes that I skipped on the first time I watched this, I thought, you know what? I hadn't seen this and I was tempted to dry dog this film. But then I thought, no, I'll watch, I'll watch it. And then I got near the end, way before, like maybe maybe like two, three minutes before this. I think she was just, she had just gotten that last phone call in her, in her boyfriend's bedroom was when I stopped this. From, from baby chickens onward. I missed all this. So this was brilliant to me. It made no fucking sense. And this is, yeah, exactly. This scene is where people 
throw the baby out with the bathwater if yeah. they do if they're prone to do so this could also be the scene that people have sort of been waiting for it to get as loony as it does so what we have here is what would you call them a, a group of children and we're not talking like 14 15 years old we're talking like eight six years old six, yeah six, they're little, little kids kid, they're little kids in rain slickers and they're asking the party yeah. line if you're connected to you. Yeah. They're Are talking you... like in riddle gibberish. Mm-hmm. Extremely sociologically and psychologically profound gibberish. They invite her backstage, I suppose, for lack of a better term. She gets through the door and ends up on a stage that lowers a veil and then rises again. And there's children in the audience. And they ask her, again, who are you connected to if you were to kill yourself? And, you know, this this chick that we've known for the, the rest of this movie being kind of uh, no-nonsense, tough girl, is just like, nobody. I'm connected to me. And this impresses the audience. They clap. They clap. They're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a wonderful little kid applause. The cutest kid applause you ever did here. And I think that that was the only answer they've been looking for all along. Because otherwise, they're just unimpressed by anyone else's answers. Or Mm -hmm. being asked, or if they're met with someone saying they don't know what they mean. They basically repeat themselves. So Mm -hmm. this is the first time that kids have been impressed. Mm -hmm. And then we're, geez, we're in something like, what is that, chicken coop? (laughs) I love baby chickens. Like, I turn into a four-year-old when these baby chickens are on the screen they're basically yeah in a little chicken coop but it's like a chicken hallway and it's probably super warm and it's lit subtly almost like a dark room sort Mm -hmm. of lighting in there there's like a big dude that's like like sharpening a what would you call those things that take a layer of wood off it's a lathe a lathe thank you yeah and you got a you got a bunch of teenage girls with it's their a hand lathe specifically. Thinking of like if someone doesn't know tools and stuff, if you had like a door that doesn't quite sit right, and you just need to shave off a little bit so that the door fits snug in the door frame. You would use a hand lathe, which is almost like a mandolin that you would use for food, but it's got a handle so you can apply pressure, lay it blade side down on wood, and push away from yourself, and it will carve up this like three inch by however long let's say 10 centimeters strip Mm -hmm. of whatever yeah now you have like these three teenage girls with their shirts off like facing the wall with baby chickens running all around their feet it probably tickles so much because they're so cute and light you can hold a baby chicken in your hand and hardly even feel it it's like there's nothing there and they shave each one of their uh they shave like a section of skin off these girls and form a new role and the role is discovered by a guy who, by uh, and given to the police, there's another suicide. There's like someone hanging themselves via Christmas lights or something, and then they find another this these bowling bags or sports bags, however you want to call it. They unroll it at, at the uh, coroner's office, and one of the police officers recognizes uh, her tattoo because her tattoo was the one that got shaved off. Recognizes it, and then is now going to look for her. She's not going to be hard to find because her and a gaggle of girls are going to be down to the exact same platform. All of their phones go off. With that cutesy w- ringtone. With the cutesy dessert ringtone. And they all answer their phones. 
and then they're all waiting at the platform. He rushes in, grabs her hand, pulls her back, this cop, and she kind of, like, pulls away and looks at him strange, and then she just gets on the train, and everyone just gets on the train, no one jumps in front of it, and then the train speeds off, and then Dessert shows up in their video announcing the disbandment of their band, they're retiring, I guess, and here's... this is their last song. Here's their last song, so... What do you think? Do you think that the kids this entire time are waiting for one person to answer this question? And then once they got an answer that satisfied themselves, there was no more need to force dessert to be the shittiest idol band ever. And, and to force people to uh, sort of like hypnotically kill, like to kill themselves. It's, it's so. I'm fine with that answer. Yeah. I, I'm fine with that yeah. answer too. Like, I don't think it needs too much more than that. I think. For some reason, this group of children were looking for this answer. And they got it, finally, from her. And then they were able to move on. It proved whatever point they were trying to make. So we've made a lot of sense of this plot that a lot of people show a lot of hatred toward. Because Mm -hmm. I don't know what part. Maybe it's the Genesis part. Maybe it's the whole baby chickens part that I love so much. You know, Mm -hmm. I was starting to, like sort of get a little not confused but just a sort of like i i really wanted the crime thriller to wrap up in a nice neat little bow because mm-hmm. i just like crime thrillers and whether the good guy wins or the bad guy wins doesn't matter i prefer the bad guy winning all the time but like at that point i could see people really checking out and then throwing some genesis and then not the band but the guy oh i get you and it's probably a band too <laughs> yeah yeah basically and throwing the baby chickens and i could see people getting irate as I do mm-hmm. but people do call it like the worst fucking movie ever and they can't make heads or tails of it but I think we did a pretty fine job of making heads and or tails out of this movie the plot is there yeah it's there I think that when you're dealing with Japanese cinema first of all you're dealing with a very different sense of continuity a very different visual sense you you have to train yourselves how to sometimes watch movies from other countries particularly yeah, a place very true particularly a place like Japan, I think that the lightheartedness that is going on while some of these horrible suicides are contemplating also seems to offend people, particularly in our society. Especially if they don't understand chibi culture whatsoever, because I'm pretty sure that if you were to be going to buy a casket or a headstone for a loved one, there would be some sort of like cartoonish animated little tiny mouse character that's Mm -hmm. attached to all the flyers and leaflets you'd be choosing these things out of. There's probably some sort of happy cuteness mm-hmm. injected into all of these things so of course it's gonna be happy cuteness injected into a film like this absolutely but also it's it could be seen as an even broader sense of in japan what was so devastating and what continues to be devastating to their youth culture is the idea that everything's okay it's all okay it's fine oh you feel bad don't feel bad something's wrong no it isn't oh like like you're getting left behind you have to give up your life to to chase this dream that we're enforcing that you need to survive oh well it's fine and the biggest blanket over all of that is don't inconvenience others by telling them you're upset yeah of course so the idea that these horrific things are happening but people are joking around or there's there's playful music playing that is the type of things that 
that are being sat- uh, satirized in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I think if you were to look at it, it's like, they're making light of suicide. No, they're not. There's plenty of examples in this movie, particularly that scene with the police officers, that is showing the devastating consequences of suicide. But I think that people will miss those points if they're too busy putting their Western eye on this movie. Yeah, we, we have a very textbook style of reacting to suicide too. It's just very different, yeah. And it's far more fucking dramatic. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I think anyway. Mm. So that's me. So what do I got next for him? More suicide. More suicide. Yeah, because oh. I just can't help myself. We're gonna get into necromancia, Ooh. Mm-hmm, which does have a few happy suicide angles. If you haven't <laughs> quite had enough of that, <laughs> and cute songs. Because I'm all about the cute songs. Me too. Yeah. There's no baby chickens that I recall in Necromantia, but it's a film that has been on the list on the back burner for a very, very, very long time. There's a song in one of my favorite scenes in that film from my friends Encephalon, an mm-hmm. Ottawa dark industrial EBM band mm-hmm. that has a great worldwide reputation and makes amazing fucking music. But it's like one of those little small little facts. I had covered this in Ottawa Horror mm-hmm. when talking about horror with Matt. And he mentioned off the hand that he had composed the song, The Claw, for Necromantia. And I, of course, checked the film out right away, fell in love with that. So I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I think it's a good fit. And it's definitely a good fit to follow Suicide Club with all its happy-dappy baby chicken suicide talk. We might as well get into, like crazy pig-headed suicide talk (laughs) and on that note i'm wes knife and i'm typical lydia and you've been listening to dead air